0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Richard Ward. I'm the associate pastor here at Springbrook. And so if you're new to Springbrook, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're glad you're with us uh, this morning. I've got uh, four daughters, and when they were little, um, for a short period of time, we used to play this game called Christ and Everything. And so they would pick some random object, and I would try to relate it to a conversation with Christ. And so they would uh, be in the living room, and they would uh, point to like a clock. And I'd look at the clock and I'd say, okay. The clock tells time. Uh, it's a reminder for me that my time is limited. My time is short. I need to make the most of my time. And ultimately I need to be able to talk to people about Christ because, you know, we need to talk about what's going to happen after our time is over. And so I'd relate, you know, an object to a conversation with somebody with Christ or they'd point at a chair and uh, I'd say, okay. That chair's got four legs on it. And so, uh, Uh, You have faith that when you sit in the chair that it's going to support your weight. But if one of those legs is broken, then uh, it's going to crumble when you sit on it. You might fall and you might get hurt. And so while your faith is important, more importantly is the object of your faith. And that's the same way it is with Christ. You know, the Bible says that if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed. If you plant it, it will grow, and it will uh, grow, and it will bear leaves and shade and provide for all little animals. And so it was kind of a fun game, just kind of relating everyday things in life to who we are in Christ. And that's kind of what this series, um, God at the Movies, is all about. You know, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, summer's here, there's blockbusters come out, there's a lot of movies out there, people are seeing the movies. And so it's an opportunity for us to do something as simple as, hey, let's look for where God is at work around us. And so Pastor Dan introduced this series on Father's Day by looking at Superman. We had Gary Ritchie here last weekend that was looking at uh, Iron Man and the struggles that we all face. And this week we're going to be looking at La Miserable, uh, which is really the story about redemption. And i got to tell you, when uh, Dan and Justin and I were kind of talking about movies, I kind I of got, I got stuck with La Miserable. <laughs> and so um, I wasn't quite sure about what to do with it. Um, early on in our marriage, uh, when I was at work at, uh, in healthcare, I had an opportunity to be in New York on business, and I had a friend of mine gave me tickets to go see this play on Broadway. And so I know being on Broadway was a big deal, so I'm looking at these tickets, and I'm looking at the title of the play, and it says, Less Miserable? Less Miserables? <laughs> so I was looking at this, and Carolyn leans over, and she goes, it's La Miserable. And so it's like, oh, thanks. Save me the embarrassment. You know, Carolyn uh, is such a good helper for me. She's kind of like a, a a walking trivial pursuit, so she helps me out with all these kind of kind of details. And so... Um, I went and saw the movie, and I got to tell you, I'm not into musicals. I am really more of an action-packed, car-chasing, gun-shooting kind of a movie guy. Uh, so I was a little bit skeptical about the movie, but you know, it wasn't that. It wasn't that bad. Uh, the play wasn't that bad, and so um, <laughs> it was okay. And so when we're picking movies, for, I'm thinking, okay, well, this came out you know last year. It was in theaters this year, and so the DVD just came out. And so you know, maybe people are saying, uh, seeing the movie. But I got to tell you, I couldn't remember what the play was about, so I had to go rent the movie. Has anybody rented the? new La um, it, it, it I am not into musicals. <laughs> it is a great movie. It's well produced. It's action packed. The graphics are gorgeous. Um, but they sing every line. <laughs> so I'm like 10, 15 minutes into this thinking maybe is this just the introduction? Or You know, I'm, I'm two hours into the movie. By the time it came to the end, I thought, okay, I, that it was a great movie, but uh, like I said, uh, I'm more of an action kind of a guy. So um, anyway, there's a 1998 release of this movie uh, starring uh, Liam, Liam uh, Neeson. It's not as well produced, um, but they talk in the movie, and so you can understand it. And so uh, I've got a clip I wanted to share with you uh, from the movie La Miz and it's uh, kind of reflective of what redemption looks like as we look at God in the movie. So let's watch this together.
1: Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand, the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you.
0: You know it's funny because I was kind of watching the movie and all that, that scene. If you're not looking for it, just kind of almost just passes you by. It's only a three minute clip, but it's really it's the basis for the whole movie, and it's the turning point in the movie for uh, what redemption is all about. Jean Valjean. Jean, <laughs> my family's going to shoot me. I've been practicing this all week. Jean Valjean is an ex-con. He's been in jail for like 19 years, and uh, he gets released and uh, this uh, bishop shows him uh, uh, just some hospitality. He brings him into his house, and then he's reduced to thievery. And so uh, I love that scene in the movie because the the bishop gives him this this ex-con, this thief, who just the night before punched him out. He gives him all this silver, and Jean Valjean wants to know why, to which the bishop replies, don't forget, you are now a new man. You no longer belong to evil. With the silver, I bought your soul, I ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. You know, it's such a small line in the whole movie, but it's such an integral point to what the movie's all about, to really what the basis of what redemption was is it relates to his life. It's a story of redemption. An ex-con, but with the silver he was purchased, you've been released from your past. you now have a new purpose. Does that sound familiar? I mean, can you see God in this movie? Because that's exactly what God says about us as a result of who we are in Christ. Just as John is uh, no longer a slave to evil, he's been purchased at a price, he's, he's got a new purpose for his life, that's what we have as a result of who we are in Christ. You see, the Bible tells a whole story about redemption from start to finish. The Bible is a story about God's love for us, about His redeeming us, about His drawing us close to Himself. And so the Bible tells a story about redemption. Now the Apostle Paul understood this and when he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he speaks clearly about our redemption. In Ephesians chapter 1, he begins with an outburst of praise to God. And then in verses 3 through 14, he writes one of the longest sentences in the New Testament. Now our English Bible is kind of put periods in there and break it up for readability. But it is one long sentence. You know, one tends to uh, sympathize with that. When we get excited, we have a tendency to run on and on and on, right? That's what Paul is doing here. You know, a grammar check always gets me when I'm writing in Word. It tells me your sentence is too long. You need to punctuate it. But here we see the Apostle Paul right here in the, in the, uh, in the uh, book of Ephesians writing this sentence about his praises uh, to God. He can't stop talking about God. He talks about God the Father who plans our salvation. He talks about God the Son, which is where we find our salvation. He talks about the Holy Spirit who seals our salvation. And then right in the middle of this long passage, Paul takes us, uh, uh, gives us a glimpse of the step that Jesus took um, to make salvation possible for us and to redeem us. And this verse is on your outline. Let's read it together. Ephesians 1, 7 through 7-8 says this. In him... We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. See, God lavishes us with redemption through the blood of Christ on the cross. He gives us the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, what does it mean to uh, to lavish On someone, You know, if you came to me and said, hey, I need five dollars for lunch and I stuck my hand on my wall and I said, well, you know, here's here's a thousand bucks, you know, go take your family out. That's lavishing on you. And so God lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He knows what we need. He knows the importance of the role that grace plays in our life. And we have redemption um, through his blood. You know, we don't deserve this. This is something God gives us, and that's what grace is. It's giving us something that we don't deserve. And he he lavishes us and freely extends to us this gift of redemption. And so what is redemption? You know, I love that word. It's not a word that you hear a lot, but it is such an important word in the life of a Christ follower. Redemption is this. It's the act of setting free or releasing someone by the payment of a predetermined Christ. And so this morning, if you have a relationship with Christ, you need to know that you have been redeemed. You've experienced redemption. If you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, you have an opportunity to be redeemed. And so redemption is kind of a yes or no kind of a thing. It's not an either or. It's kind of a gray in the middle. Um, redemption is the act of setting someone free, releasing them by a payment of a predetermined price. It doesn't happen by accident. To be redeemed means to be set free. And so how many of you have experienced that being set free feeling as a result of who we are in Christ? The Bible says that we're of all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, so ultimately what we're set free from is the bonds of slavery. You know, we're born into this condition. You know, how many of you, if you have uh, young kids, um, raise your hand if you had to teach your kids to be bad. Did anybody wake up this morning and say, Okay, kids, come on, let's, get, let's have some breakfast. This morning I'm going to teach us a lesson on how to be disobedient. It doesn't happen. You see, we instinctually <laughs> know how to do that. We are born into a fallen condition. We are all bad. We have the capacity for good, but we are all bad. We learn these things ourselves because we are inherently sinful. We all have the capacity to do good, but we're inherently sinful. And that's what Romans 3.22 is all about. It says this, There's a righteousness from God that comes through faith in Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And we're all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We are righteous. We are in right standing before God as a result of who we are in Christ. There is no difference whether you're Jew, Gentile, male, female, young, old. There is no difference. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And the redemption that we have is the freedom from that condition. We're all sinful. Redemption is the freedom from that condition. Galatians 5.1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, we are all inherently slaves to sin. Through our relationship with Christ, we're redeemed, we're made new, we're changed, and we become different. We're no longer slaves. We can break that yoke, and we can take the yoke of Christ on us. And So we can choose to be either yoked to sin or yoked to Christ. Don't be burdened again by what? By slavery. You know, we are burdened by slavery as a result of this condition that we're born into. And recognized or not, we are all sinful. We're born slaves of sin. Christ sets us free. Now, raise your hand if you're perfect. Anybody perfect in here? Yes. <laughs> perfect in Christ. You know, you know what's funny? We instinctually know that we're not perfect. I mean, we all know we make mistakes, right? But now let me ask you this. You know, raise your hand if you're, if you're a sinner, yeah, you know, that was hard. That was hard for me. You know, growing up for me, you know, I always thought, well, I'm not as bad as this person. It was difficult for me to admit that I had shortcomings. And that's difficult, I think, in our culture, to just to say, hey, I have shortcomings. We're we're comparing ourselves to one another. We're all trying to do good. We're all trying to, you know, it's difficult for to say, hey, man, I, I am a sinner. I have shortcomings, and I am in need. I'm yoked by slavery. It's really something that does not, Come instinctually or natural to us you know Christ sets us free from that Christ sets us free from the slavery of sin and he does that through a payment and so what is that payment? you know if you go to the grocery store and you buy you know you buy some groceries and they're all bagged up and they're sitting at the end of the counter um, you've purchased those but you don't get to take them until what until you pay. <laughs> And so there's this payment uh, is about the fact that there's something that we need, but there's a payment that needs to be made for it. And Christ was that payment. We're set free through that payment. That's what Romans 8:5-8 uh, says. God demonstrates his love in, you know, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the payment for our sin is Christ's death on the cross. We're born sinful. We're separated from God. And through Christ's payment, through his death on the cross, we find forgiveness of sins. We find a righteousness before God. So Christ is our payment. His death on the cross paid the penalty for the freedom for our slavery uh, from sin. We're set free by the death of Christ. That is great news, isn't it? But it's not just any death. I mean, if Christ had died in an accident, or if something had fallen on him and killed him, or if he died of some disease, that wouldn't be sufficient. It's not just the death of Christ that's important, but it's the price that's important as well. The price of our freedom is in the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. That's the price that Christ paid. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. You know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so it's through his spilt blood. It's through his sacrifice. That's the price that he paid. You might not, you have to buy the groceries. You might not like the price, but you have to do the payment. So there's a difference between price and payment. And so it's through Christ that we have forgiveness. It's it's because of his death on the cross. It's because he made the payment. And it's also because of the price, which is his spilt blood. And so when you think about the price of something, you think about the price of, say, for example, a sin. How much do you think a sin is worth? You know, if you were going to try to put a dollar value to sin, you know, how much would it be if you said a swear word? Five bucks? You know, how about uh, if you cheat? You know, If you've got a husband or wife that's cheated, or if you think about some of the things that we lie about or some of the things that come out of our mouths, what's that, ten bucks? How about murder? What is the cost of murder? You know, what's that sin worth? Maybe a thousand bucks? You know, what is the cost associated with our sin? It's not a silver or gold issue. And you know what else? It's not our time either. You know, how about coming to two hours, you know, to church on Sunday? Do you think that's sufficient to cover the cost? Or how about um, praying? You know, I grew up in a system where, depending upon how bad I was, I had to actually say the Lord's Prayer more based on how bad I was. And so does that pay the penalty for our sin? It is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that we were redeemed from an empty way of life that's handed down to us from our forefathers. We've inherited this sin. We've inherited this empty way of life. It is only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without defect or blemish, that we have the assurance of forgiveness of sins and can find our security in that. The difference between payment and price is just that. Payment's a transaction. Price is the cost. And the price of our redemption was not just the death of Jesus on the cross, but about his being offered up as a sacrifice on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. You know, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 said, In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is about Christ's death on the cross, the payment and the price that was paid. And so this morning, as you think about redemption, where do you stand with regard to redemption? Do you understand your need to be set free? Would you characterize yourself as saying, I understand that I'm a sinner, I'm born into that condition, I'm a slave to that, I need to be delivered from that, and thank God that Christ has paid the penalty for me in that. Are you trusting in his death? Are you trusting in the sacrifice that he made on the cross on your behalf for your freedom? That's the question each one of us needs to ask. And so where have you placed your faith? In Jesus Christ Christ. You are redeemed. If you are a Christ follower, you have experienced redemption. And that is something to get excited about. Amen? I mean, we have the assurance that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient. That's great news, isn't it? Okay, so now what? You know, what are the results of being redeemed? It's one thing to say, I know what redemption is. But what do the results of redemption look like in our life? You know, as a result of experiencing redemption, we also can experience forgiveness and new life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation was that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. You see, we are forgiven and we can embrace that forgiveness and not live any longer as if we're a slave to sin. We're going to look in just a few moments at a passage in Titus that says, you know, as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we can say no to sinful behaviors. We're not stuck there. God gives us the power to say no. God gives us the power to move beyond that. And then he counts those sins to us no longer as a result of who we are in Christ. We can experience forgiveness. We can also experience new life. The old is gone, the new has come. You know, that's what it means when it talks about dying to self. It's about talking about dying to sin. And so when a person makes a faith commitment, when they're baptized, it's reflective of being... Of being buried with Christ and being raised with Him in celebration of His new life. It's reflective of being cleansed and washed and coming out new. We are not the same person that we were before we had a relationship with Christ that we are afterwards. We are made new. It's almost as if there was a, uh, you know, and from a biblical perspective, people's name changed. Abram became Abraham. I mean, uh, Saul became Paul there's an, there's, a, there's an expectation that this person is gone and now there's a new person here it would be so cool if we all changed our names after we made faith commitments right that would be exciting because that's reflective of what's happened the results of redemption is that we have forgiveness of sins but that we're also new I was driving behind a car uh, just it was last week and there was a bumper sticker on the back that said uh, uh, not perfect just forgiven right See, I've seen quite a few of those. I think we need a bumper sticker that says, not just forgiven, but living my life out in light of the forgiveness. Because it's not enough just to claim to be forgiven. We have to live our lives out in light of that. We can't just claim the truth. We're made new. We change. There's something different about us, and people should see that in our lives as a result of who we are in Christ. Romans 8, 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That is exciting news. There is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God looks down on our lives, and anything that is missing or lacking in us is made up as a result of who we are in Christ. There's no condemnation where? For those that are in Christ Jesus. And so if you have a relationship with Christ, you can stand secure in knowing that you are right with God. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, then the inverse is true. There is condemnation for those that are not in Christ. Forgiveness comes about as a result of our new life in Christ. And, and anything that could be held against us is gone. The idea of forgiveness means it has been taken away. It is no longer there. You know, in the Old Testament, when they had a sacrificial system, they had a scapegoat and they'd slaughter one and then, and then one scapegoat would be set free and then the sins of the Israelites would be taken out of the camp. It's not that, you know, they were still sinful, but that sin that they had as a result of their standing before God was put on that goat and it was taken away. It left the camp. There's no condemnation. Sin is gone and we have right standing before God as a result of who we are in Christ. And so that's one of the results of our redemption, of our being redeemed. We have forgiveness of sins, and we have the assurance of new life, and we have the assurance of being made um, new. You know, forgiveness and new life are two great promises of God that result from our redemption. The second promise that God gives us is the assurance of heaven. And I love that one. You know, there's mornings when I wake up, and I can identify with Paul, Lord, it would be better for me to be there with you, but you have a plan for me here. You know, Romans 8:22 says this, We know that whole of creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. When Adam and Eve sinned and fell in the garden, all of creation fell. We've been born into this condition and as a result, we experience pain, anguish, loss, suffering, separation from God. The whole of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we have experienced this also. But I love this next part. But we have the first fruits of the Spirit, it goes on to say, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies, for in this we have. The hope that we were saved. And so we have these trials and these tribulations and these problems in life, and we groan with everyone else, but we are different in the way that we handle them because we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons. First Corinthians fifteen says that when Christ returns, we're going to get a new body. The dead are going to be raised, the raised are going to you know the perishable is going to be raised and perishable. In you know, a twinkle living an eye, those of us that are here are going to be changed. We have the assurance of standing in the presence of God. And that is exciting. We have the assurance of heaven. This life is temporary. And we have the assurance of heaven as a result of who we are in Christ. I had an opportunity yesterday to uh, talk with uh, a family. We had a funeral here at Springbrook. And I was talking to uh, uh, one of the girls there. And um, she had a tattoo on her arms. And she said, uh, on this side, it said, this life is temporary. And on this side... It says as a result we need to live our life to the full today and so I asked her I said well I mean, what happens after today I mean what happens when our life ends you know and we no longer are living for today what happens after that and it was an interesting conversation because I don't you know that everybody ponders that I mean there's this idea that um we, we we pursue the life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and there's a sense that today is what we need to live in you know you know the Bible says that we're not to worry about tomorrow. You know, today's got enough to take care of itself. And so there is a sense that we live in today. But to not ask the question, what about tomorrow, would be, uh, would be uh, ludicrous. You know, we're on this earth 70, maybe 80 years, and we're going to spend eternity somewhere. What happens after we die? This passage says that, you know, we know we've grown with all of creation, but our hope, is in our adoption of sons. We have the assurance of salvation. It's faith because it's not going to happen until we actually die. And so it's kind of an already not yet. What we have now is a promise that God is going to send his son back and, and, and reclaim us. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And if I tell you that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And so heaven is a very real place. And it's one of the promises and the results that we have as a result of being redeemed. Now, redemption brings about new life. It brings about forgiveness. It brings about the hope of heaven. And then it also brings about a refined purpose for our life. It brings about a purpose for our life. In Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier. When we are new in Christ, we have the assurance of salvation. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we have the ability to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that. He's Jesus Christ is both God and our Savior who gave himself to us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We are not our own. Christ has redeemed us for himself. We are a people that belong to him. And we are eager to do what is good. And so this morning, if you've experienced that redemption, can you resonate with your purpose in life? Your life is not your own, but God has a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. And it looks different for each person. And so one of the responsibilities I have here at Springbrook is to help people understand how they're gifted. What's God's plan for your life? And so you can, in community with others, as you pray, as you read God's word, as you seek the wise biblical counsel of others around you. You know, God has got a plan and a purpose for your life, and we need to live our lives out in light of who we are in Christ. We can't just say, I've experienced forgiveness, I've experienced redemption, and then not do anything with it. We belong to God for His purposes, and we need to be eager to do what is good. You know, uh, Pastor Justin um, next week is going to be providing us an update um, on... uh, Revolution of Love and then our mission trip as well. But I have a moment during our mission trip that I wanted to share with you. Here's a picture of our of our team. You know, we're all kind of standing over there. And uh, we had such uh, a blast. God just went before us. I thank you so much for your generosity, for your prayers, for your support. We had a couple of close calls. We had some electrical explosions. We had some, some things that we got into that were a little bit scary. <laughs> the whole time I could just sense um, God's protection and provision around us. But I can tell you, I have, I came back, I am so proud of our church. I'm so proud of the generosity of our church to be able to enable us to do this. I'm so proud of the service that people extend as they live God's plan out for their life, not living for themselves, but for others. Um, But this is a picture of our trip, and uh, we got there uh, Sunday, we got acclimated, and then we had a routine. We had a routine every day, and it looked like this. We had breakfast in the morning. We got up at 6 o'clock after sleeping on the floor. We did our morning devotions, and then we prepared to go to work. We worked all afternoon, and then at noon we stopped, and we did an afternoon devotion, and then we worked all afternoon, and we had our lunch, and then we came home. And then in the evening, we had a big wine for the showers. We had two bathrooms and a couple of shower stalls, and so we had to work that dynamic out. So in the evening, we had a shower. We had dinner. And then we had a worship time where we all collected. We did our, as a result of our devotions, it was a worship time. And uh, it was so powerful. You know, God, God just manifested himself there. And then after that was over, we all went to bed and we crashed on the floor about 10 o'clock. And so, uh, so that was our routine. And then the next morning we got up and we did it over and over again. <laughs> on day one, we were getting to meet the other teams that were there. Our Springbrook team, we had one from Ohio and one from Texas. And on day two... It was a girl that showed up, and uh, she wasn't a part of any of our teams, and she was sitting around the uh, dinner table with us. And so you know, she was talking to some of our kids, and she'd come over and talk to me, and she was just kind of doting around. On day three, um, I saw her in the worship service. And so while we're all singing, she's over there, and she's over there singing. And so this, this girl just kind of, uh, on day four, she's like a part of the team, right? And nobody has any clue where she came from. <laughs> that night, I had a guy show up, and uh, he was a member of that church. And he said to me, he said, uh, he said, I haven't seen my daughter all week. She doesn't want to come home. What's going on? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to get, it. he thinks we're cold. he's going to, you know. <laughs> you know I, my mind went to the worst because he was really, I mean, it was that intensity about his question. I thought, man, what, is, what does he want to know? And so, uh, and then, he, and then he, uh, he asked me another question that almost brought me to tears. He, he wanted to know what we were doing that his daughter, Wanted to be around us so much and be a part of that church. Now, as I pondered the question for a moment, I, I, the implications of what he meant was she didn't want to be there, and all of a sudden she wants to be there, and she's engaged and she's enjoying it, and the dad is trying to figure out why. And so it's nighttime, and I looked out, you know, we're kind of standing in the basement. And I looked out, our beds are there, we're stinky, we're sleeping on the floors, it's the end of the week, we're completely exhausted. And my response to him was, you know, I really can't explain this to you other than this. You know, we have a, we're have part of a church family that through their generosity, you know, sent us here. Uh, they give generosity to send us here so that we could come serve your community, share the love of God with people, and talk to people about Christ. He, he, he looked at me for a minute, and it's just, that's what we were doing that she was attracted to. There was a sense that we were not there for ourselves. God was in this thing in a big way, and it was attractional to other people. When we experience that kind of redemption, that moves us beyond ourself to be prepared for what God wants us to do. It is life-transforming, not only in the lives of the, us, the people that are involved, but in the lives that are people that are watching. As I read through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the church, the disciples were together. They held everything in common. They devoted themselves to the disciples' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prepare. And everyone was in awe and wonder. And people were looking in from the outside. They were looking in and saw that and wanted to be a part of it. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. That's an image of the church today. And I think so many times, you know, we live in a consumer-driven culture. Church has been reduced to what happens on Sunday morning. It is such a shame. Because it is so much more than that. When we've experienced the life-transforming power of a relationship with Christ, how can we be anything but new in a way that our lives are transformed and make a difference to a watching world? And so this morning, is, you know, as you're sitting here and you're kind of pondering this issue of redemption, you know, it's not uncommon for someone to ask, you know, do you have a relationship with Christ? You may or may not be clear about what that means. But let me ask you this, in light of what we looked at this morning, have you been redeemed? Have you understood your need for a Savior? Have you understood the condition that you've been born into? Have you understood your need for a Savior? Have you experienced that forgiveness? Do you understand that through Christ's death on the cross, he paid the penalty for our, for our, for our sins, and the price that he paid was that spilt blood? Do you understand that? Because that is the beginning of a relationship with Christ. Sometimes we talk about the relationship with Christ, and that, that relationship grows. And so to ask the question, do you have a relationship with Christ, assumes that there's been some, something happening there that you can relate to. But let, let's take that out of the way for now. I want to ask you, have you experienced redemption? Do you understand your condition and what Christ accomplished for you on, on your behalf? You know, have you experienced that? Now, if you have questions about that, right after the service this morning, I'm going to be here uh, for a few moments. Um, I'd I'll I'll love the opportunity to talk with you about that. If you want to know more about redemption, our um, elders are going to be in the prayer room uh, down the hallway to the end of the right. They would absolutely love if you came in there and said, hey, can you tell me about redemption? That would be an answer for, <laughs> for somebody. That's a gift to be able to talk to somebody about understanding their need for a relationship with Christ and actually be there in that moment and experience that period where somebody comes to understand their need for a relationship with Christ. And so if you want to know more, I'll talk with you after the service. You can stop by our prayer room or on the back of your bulletin uh, is a list of email addresses. Richard Willard, my email address is on there. Just drop me an email. I'll be more than happy to stop what I'm doing next week to have coffee with you and talk with you about what redemption looks like in your life. But don't leave here this morning without being clear about whether or not you've experienced redemption, whether you've experienced that that forgiveness that's available to you through Christ. That's why we're here this morning. To celebrate that. So it would be crazy for somebody to come to this church and to not hear that good news and to walk out that door secure and encouraged about who they are in Christ. And so don't leave here this morning if that's where you are. I'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. If you have experienced that, if you have experienced that redemption, are you experiencing that life to the full? Do you realize that you are not your own? Have you surrounded yourselves with others that can encourage you in your faith? Are you growing spiritually? Are you eager to do good? And are you living your life out in a way that's making an impact in your family, in your neighborhood, and in this world? We need more missionaries. You don't have to go to Belize or to New York to be a missionary. If a new neighbor moves in, take them lunch. You know, spend some time with your neighbors. I was talking to Emily Phillips last night. She came in. She was exhausted. She said, I said, what's the matter? She goes, oh, our neighbors. We were going to go to bed early, but some neighbors invited us or something, so we went out <laughs> with them. You know, I was laying there last night. I, I really, so, I heard my neighbors out in the backyard doing a bonfire. and I so much wanted to go out there and just hang out with them, but I, I had to get up early this morning. So, you know, you can be a missionary right in your neighborhood, right in your yard, right with your neighbor, you know, maybe with your family member. We need more missionaries. And so, be a missionary. Live your life out in light of the fact that you have been redeemed. There's something different about you than the rest of the world. And so, live your life in that capacity. And so as we kind of close our time together this morning, I just want to ask you to pray with me uh, that God would continue to draw those close to him that need a relationship with Christ to himself. And that for those of us that have experienced that, that he would continue to reveal and make his plan clear in our lives for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for the gift of redemption. Man, it is a gift, and it is from your hand. God, we celebrate that um, this morning. And I just pray that you would continue to increase our faith. God, draw us close to yourself. Um, God, I just pray for those that have questions about their standing uh, before you as a result of who they are in Christ. I pray for those people that you give them clarity as to their next step of making a faith commitment. God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to come together to worship you. And so I pray that you draw us closer to yourself. God, and if we have a Relationship with Christ. I pray that you would stir in our hearts a new fire to serve you and to set our, alive, our lives for your glory. And God, I just pray that you would continue to raise up missionaries and workers for this harvest. And God, and we do this all for your glory. I pray it's through your power and through your spirit. And we lift our lives up to you, we lift this church up to you, and we look forward to the great things you're going to continue to do in through us together. In Christ's name.